0: You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso, Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. I was at a pastor's retreat at Hume Lake all week. And so uh, you know what's funny? Sunday still keeps coming. And you still have to write a sermon. And so I literally wrote this in a bathroom. So if it stinks, there you go. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump on in. So our family, we try to do vacations right now as as, uh, as parents are getting older and whatnot. We want to make sure we get to spend as much time with them as we can. So we've been doing a lot of vacations that have been going on. And uh, we went to Mexico just recently. There's a couple of pictures up here that I want to show from that. And as we went on our trip, oh, there it is. You can see the top of it. Um, Bummer. We tried this morning. That was just a... Anyway, we went to Mexico. And as we were there, we went on a hike. And the thing with hikes is this, um, if a hike doesn't have a payoff, it's just a walk. And so there has to be some kind of payoff. You need to see something that no one else can see. You need to see a vista. You need to see a peak. You need to see a valley. You need to see a waterfall. And so when we went to Mexico, we were promised that there was this river hike that was going to lead us up to these hidden waterfalls. And because it was hot and there's no air conditioning anywhere in Mexico, we're like, yes, water, cold water sounds amazing. So we went on this hike and sure enough, as we went up there, uh, we found the waterfalls and they were gorgeous. Um, It's this like built-in ravine kind of area, and the water's coming down multiple waterfalls. And um, we jumped in. We were swimming around, and uh, me and the boys were jumping off of rocks that we shouldn't have been jumping off of because that's what you do. And I said, you know, it'd be fun. We should swim up to the waterfall and climb into this little hole in the waterfall. And so I did. And then I realized there's a lot of water coming off of that waterfall and there's a lot of pressure and it kept pushing me back and it was like moving me back and I had to swim against the current. Then finally I scrambled up the side and I get into this little hole in there and I'm like, man, I did it. And you're thinking, why is that such a big deal and why are you sharing it? Because this culture is just like, hey, there it is. So... If you look to the, to the right corner, there's a little triangle. That's the hole that we climbed into to get there. It doesn't look like much water, but the water is so forceful and so powerful that we couldn't get in. And so because it took all this effort, culture's like that. Culture is like a waterfall of rushing water that is moving against you. As soon as I stopped paddling and swimming into that, it would push me back. And unless I kept moving into it, I wasn't going to be able to get up to that waterfall, and that's how culture is at times. Maybe you've experienced that as you try to go against culture, you feel the pressure and the weight of culture saying, no, 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 this is how we do things here. We don't do things that way. Or maybe you've tried to say, I disagree with that. And you felt the thrust of culture come at you when you disagree with what culture's doing and where it's at. So what I wanted today is this. As I thought about that idea and that concept I want to keep pressing into our series on prayer. And I want to look at a young man named Daniel. And I want to look at Daniel's life and how he was a man that pressed against the culture in a very hard situation. We're going to talk about hard situations this morning. But he had a pattern of faithfulness and prayer in his life that allowed him to remain strong in not just hard circumstances, but literally in deadly circumstances. And the things that I want to look at today is culture, you can respond to culture, what I believe is one of three ways, okay? So I'm going to share two, and I'm going to hold on to the last one to the very end. So if you're like, I need that last one, you'll have to wait to the very end. The first one is assimilation. We can be assimilated into culture, meaning that we stop swimming against the flow, and let the flow take us wherever the flow may go, and culture determines what we believe, how we think, what we value, and what we don't. So that's one way. We can be assimilated by culture. The other one is isolation, that we circle up the wagons, we hide from the culture, we don't get involved, we don't get plugged in, and we just kind of just, you know, we'll just kind of hang out here together and let the culture do its thing and never be involved in it. And then there's the third option, which I want to get to by the time that we end. And what I believe is God has called us to is the third option. And what I believe that Daniel was doing and his friends were doing in that culture. So I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna go into the backdrop of Daniel and what's going on in that situation so we can understand his life, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I don't know where everybody is today. I don't know what baggage they bring here. I don't know what hardships they're going through. I don't know what difficult situations that maybe they're in currently. Lord, I know that you've called us to be a light to this world, and I ask as we talk about Daniel and talk about his friends that we'd see that we also are called to be a light in this world. That you have a plan to save humanity and it is your church. I ask that we can be that church. I ask that we can bring the hope and the truth and the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and broken and hurting world. Holy Spirit, if there's things that I should not be saying today, I, I do ask that you would take those from my mouth and, and from my notes and from my mind, that I wouldn't be a distraction to the truth of the gospel. And if there's anything that I need to be bold and courageous to say, that you would give me the power to be bold and courageous to say that today to your people so they would sit under your truth. We love you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So my first point I just want to go over the background. That's really all I want to do is kind of talk about what's going on. Last week we talked about Hannah, right? And She wanted a child, and she couldn't have a child. She prayed to God, and she wrestled through that with God, like I was calling that doing work with God. And so as she did that, ultimately, we see that God does give her a son. She names that son Samuel, which is where we have the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. That boy would grow up, and he would anoint the first king, King Saul, who, let's be honest, though he was tall, wasn't a very good king. Okay? And so then he would anoint the second king, King David. And King David would be the greatest king that Israel, Israel has ever had. And he would be what was compared to every other king that would then follow. Now we know within that story there was a, another king that was promised from the line of David, right? And there was an anticipation that this king would come, that his kingdom would rule forever, his reign would rule forever, and that he was going to be different than all the other kings. And so what we see is that as the kings preceded David... They got increasingly worse and worse, more evil, more wicked, with the exception of a few that that were speckled in there. It was to show over and over again that these guys were not going to be the guy that was promised. The hope in this kingdom was not going to be the one that was going to fulfill. And what we see is that these kings tried to rule without God very much like Adam and Eve, right? They tried to live their lives without God. And so these kings started to try to rule the nation like the other nations around them. They wanted to be like them. They wanted to have power and respect like them. And so they started ruling like them instead of the way that God had called them to rule. And that as that started to happen, they were looking to other kingdoms and they even started worshiping their other gods, And we see that there is a lot of problems that started to come from that. It got so bad at one point that the Israelites were practicing child sacrifice on their own children to these false gods. And you'd have the one mountaintop where they would be making sacrifices at the temple and there'd be another mountaintop across the valley where children were being burned alive. That's how bad it got. And because of that, God brought judgment and consequences for their rebellion and their actions. The kingdom would ultimately split into two kingdoms. You have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the Lord would actually send other nations in to conquer them and and to do that. One of the kingdoms that was taken over was exiled by the Assyrians and my wife's family. And they went and they took all of uh, Israel away. And so there was the Assyrians that took that area. But then there was this other uh, group that was exiled into Babylon. Okay, And so Babylon came and that was um, the house of Judah. And they took them. So I want to focus on that one. That's where I want to focus today. King uh, of that time was Nebuchadnezzar. He'd probably be somewhere in the top 10 most um, powerful and richest men in the history of the world. Is probably where Nebuchadnezzar would fall at some level. And what would happen is Nebuchadnezzar would come and they would uh, take over different regions and lands and territories. They expanded their territory. And one of the things he was really known for is that he would go and he would take all the youngest and the brightest of every place that he took and he would then take them and he would bring them back to Babylon, to the capital, and then he would re, uh, rewire them, if you will. And they'd be reculturalized into becoming Babylonians. They would learn the language and the history. They would understand the philosophy, uh, who they worshiped, why they worshiped it. Uh, They would be changed in every way that they were. So they had their new identities would be Babylonians. That's who they would ultimately be. And if you didn't, it was easy. They killed you. That, That was it. You either assimilate or you die. This was where Israel finds themselves. This is what was going on. And yet we see in all of this, there was this group of young men that we'll focus in on, that God was going to use to stand strong in a foreign pagan nation to bring truth, God's truth, to bring power, God's power, that they would see the one true God of the universe And ultimately, it would have a massive impact on them and those around. And what they were doing is they were ultimately bringing the hope of God to people that didn't have hope. We talk about it all the time that as we look at these um, smaller pictures of what's happening in the Bible, that it's always representing something bigger, right? And so as we look at Daniel, we look at Israel in exile in Babylon, we're also looking at the church on a global scale, and now the church is very much like that. Now the church is meant to do the same thing, but not just with Babylon, but the entire planet that we exist on. That's what's going on and what's happening in this section. So these two things are happening. We're looking at Daniel and his life, but we're looking at the church and what God is doing on a cosmic scale as well. Okay? So what we need to do is look at the situation that Daniel is in. Um, As we focus in on Daniel, um, it's interesting. Like I could talk about all of his buddies and they'll get brought up, but that's really not the focus of where I want to land. I want to look at the pattern of the life of Daniel. Actually, Daniel had influence over his friends. So that pattern of his life, I think, I believe, poured into the lives of his friends as well. And what we find is they would not be moved by the culture on the things that pertain to the Lord. Now, you need to understand something though. They conformed a lot of their life in Babylon, they did. You're like, well, they didn't conform to anything. No, they conformed to a lot of stuff. They, they did a lot of things that we were like, I don't know if I like that. But when it came down to that which defines them as a Jew and a follower of God, they did not bend their knee. They wouldn't do it. They didn't compromise their identity in God. And so we see is very early on, as they're responding to the culture, they don't assimilate when it comes to their identity in Christ and in God, right? And they also didn't isolate because that really wasn't an option. It wasn't on the table. They were thrust into this world that they lived in. And the first pattern that we're going to see has to do with them eating unceremonial clean food. And all that means is God said, there are certain foods I don't want you to eat that make you unclean to worship me, and so don't eat those foods. And unfortunately, the Babylonians didn't care about those rules. They're like, we're going to eat this, and that's how we're going to eat, and that's how I'm going to train these guys up because their boss at that time, Daniel's boss, was like, hey, I have to get you guys trained to present to the king... And if I do a good job, I get to live. And if I do a bad job, well, I die. And part of that was not only their intellect, but it was also their physicality as well. And so there was this big uh, confrontation, and actually, they, I, which you look at it, I, I talk to Christians all the time. I'm like, well, I'm gonna tell the world what for, and I'm gonna be aggressive with the world. But you know, it's funny, as I look at Daniel and his, his guys, they handled it with respect. They handled it with honor and they handled it with dignity. They weren't rude or disrespectful. They weren't cutting. They just said this, if the Lord says that this is how we should live, then that must be right. And so let's just put it to a test. And we're gonna eat these foods. And so what we see end up happening is they didn't eat the meat and drink all the wine and stuff they were drinking before, they just just stick to water and vegetables. And so if you're a kid, you can blame Daniel for your problems with vegetables. And if you're a parent, you have a verse. So I'm I'm helping both of you out here, okay? So you both have something to work with. And so ultimately what ends up happening is that as God um, shows up in that moment, he shows favor, they look better, and they all eat vegetables. So that's the first step. It seems like a small thing, right? But it's just one small step in faithfully trusting God and what he calls his people to. And as they do that, God shows up, and he blesses them because of it. And so what we see is in the first section that we're going to look at is in chapter 1, 17 through 20. So this is after the whole food thing. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Um, It's just so interesting that these men stood up for what they knew was true and what God had called them to. God shows how he cares for them, how he protects them, how he blesses them. Even wow, all the people in Israel had drifted so far from God. God still had these people. He was preparing a place for them in a very hard situation to lift up God's name, not their name. Now, I know that we all come here with different baggage. And the things I'm going to say today may, may feel hard at first. And I want you to hear my heart. I think that The Western culture is really good at lying to each other. And they say things that sound really nice, but aren't necessarily biblical. And so, as I say this, I say this with love and kindness, but maybe your hard situation where you're in right now, maybe the difficulty that you're going through, maybe the thing that caused you to stay up late at night, to worry, to fret, to be frustrated all the time, to ask God why is exactly where God wants you right now. It's a hard thing to think about. Those who aren't going through trouble go, yeah, that seems like it's easy to accept. And those that are like in a hard situation, at me like, I hate you right now. Because we know how that feels, right? You don't think that Daniel and his friends were feeling a lot of this? That their situation was actually very hard? Oh, hey, I, I, just, I just watched people that I love killed and, and we just got exiled and, and I had to change the way that I live. And um, they worked for the, the chief of the eunuchs, so I don't know if they had to become eunuchs or not, but it could be on the table. And if that's the case, that's a real bummer. You don't think that it's hard for them going like, why is this happening? Why are we here? And yet God had a plan because all of these events was setting the stage for how God was going to lift up his name and ultimately redeem his people and ultimately redeem the entire world. See, at times we feel like the situation that we're in might feel like the worst thing in the world. And we're asking for relief. But it's really a part of God's bigger plan you realize that God loves us, is engaged with us and He is um, using us for His purpose, for His glory, and ultimately, whether we realize it or not in the moment, our joy? Because He loves us and He cares for us and He wants us to be about what He's about? He's including us in His plan. I mean, think of the story of Joseph. If you don't, I, I, I am debating doing this next year, an entire series on Joseph, because it's such a good story. But Joseph uh, was this young, young man who had some brothers and they didn't like the attention that their dad was giving them. So what they decided to do, well, clearly just beat him up and throw him into a pit because that's what normal people do to people that they are jealous of. And so they throw him into this pit. They were going to kill him at one point. said, oh, you know what's even better? We can make some cash off of this. And so let's just put him into human trafficking. And they sold him off to slavery. He ends up going to work for this guy whose then wife finds him really attractive. She accuses him of raping her. And then he gets thrown in jail again. And then he's there for a number of years. And then through that process, we see that God places Joseph in the right place at the right time to give the right information to the right guy to become the number two guy. In all of Egypt. Don't think about it that way. You think that Joseph's like, this is great. Hit me again. Let's find another pit. Uh, Do you think he was excited about what was going on? But yet we see at the very end of all of this story and what takes place in Genesis 45, 4 through 7, it says some stuff. Uh, I'm not going to read that one. I'm just going to quote Genesis 50, 20, which is what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what was going on. But I I, I do want to go to Psalm, uh, the Psalms, uh, Psalm 105, 17, as it's talking about what's going on. It says, and he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. He being God, sent a man named Joseph as a part of his plan to become a slave that was ultimately going to save his people. If you just kept reading those next verses, you'd talk about how amazing our God is and what he does for his people. But This all started with the fact that God had him put in slavery. It's a hard truth. And yet Joseph, though he didn't understand what was going on at the time, by the end he saw the bigger picture. And he saw how God had chosen him for a special task, a difficult task, to save his people. See, God's doing that today still. Maybe that's you. You in a situation that you go, this is the worst right now, Simon. This is the worst. I hate this. I hate where I'm at right now. It feels hopeless all the time. It it seems like there's no way out of the situation that I'm currently in. And maybe you're feeling that way. And I want to ask you this question with love. Have you asked God if this is a part of his story and his glory? Or do you still think it's about your story and your glory? So what we find is my third point is placed in the worst place for the right time. This is where we get to Daniel and how he's, God's going to use him in this moment as he's been exiled Trained for three years, put in the king's like, top tier of advisors. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He has this dream and it starts to bother him deeply to the point where he can't sleep. You ever have a dream that feels like there's something else going on and you wake up and then you are awake? You're like, we ain't sleeping now, we're thinking. And your mind starts spinning and spinning and spinning because you can't get it out of your head. Well, that happened to the king, but this went on for many days. He was obsessed with this vision. He wanted to know what this dream meant that it was so real and it pertained to his life and where he was. And he understood parts of it, but he didn't understand why it was going the way it was going. And so he's going to go about figuring out how to do this a little bit differently than he has in the past. And so here's his plan. He has all these sorcerers and enchanters and all these you know, people that are supposed to be wise individuals. He says, hey, I, I, I want to know what this dream is. He's like, great, tell us the dream, oh great king. He's like, no, you can tell me my dream. He's like, I say, what? You're going to tell me the dream that I had. And then after that, You're then going to interpret what that dream means. And they're like, I don't know. King, I don't think you understand how this works. You have to tell me what's going on. It's like, no, that's not what's happening. You You may ask, why is he doing that? Oh, by the way, he also put in a caveat to really give him incentive. If you don't, I will tear you limb from limb, and that will kill everyone in your house. So just, what's my dream? That's the situation that we're in here. Why? So it's it's a two-part thing. One, we know that he understood enough of it because he was asking the right questions. We know uh, later on in the next chapter we'll see kind of what he ultimately does, and so I think he understood it enough, but not enough to change ultimately. But the other thing was he was so troubled because he was trying to figure out, like, do the guys that surround me are they just lying to me? Are they just telling me what I want to hear? This dream was so important, he had to know the truth. And so he wanted real answers. He was testing their powers, he was testing their abilities. And and ultimately, what he's doing is he's actually challenging the gods that they worship because they worship those gods and said, Can these gods answer this question so I can understand it? So all of this is kind of going on. And they start freaking out because they don't know. And last they checked, they liked their arms and legs where they were, and they loved their families. And so what do they do? They start stalling for time. Well, give us a few days. Give us a little bit of time. Could you give us a hint about the dream? So maybe that would spur us on to move in that direction. And the king starts getting more and more angry. He's like, no, this is what I said. This is what I mean. And this is what you'll do. And in verse 10 of uh, chapter 2 of Daniel, you won't have it, you guys. That's okay. Just follow along with me. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So that seems like it's a bummer for anyone who's a wise man, anyone who is with the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, right? Daniel was one of those guys in the culture, in influence, among the king. And they go to Daniel, like, hey, we're going we're to kill you. He's like, well, why? <laughs> but there's hope. Because in chapter 1, and verse 17, we got this this little message. And I I read it earlier. As for those four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You see how God's setting the stage for what he's going to do? He's like, I got this so figured out. Like, it's all exactly the way it needs to be. So then Daniel actually hears, they go and say, hey, we're going to kill you. He's like, well, hold on. I want to have a meeting with the king. I'm going to to interpret the king's dream. Here's the crazy part. He says that. He doesn't know yet. He doesn't know the dream, and he doesn't know the interpretation. He just says, no, we're going to do this. So you see that this man who stepped out in faith and saw God show up, provided the solution. He's stepping out in faith again. Another pattern, as you see, he is stepping out in faith, believing and trusting what God's word says, because if it is God's word, it is true, it is accurate, and it is the best. And so he steps out in prayer, the pattern of faithfully trusting God. I guess my question is, are you? Do you have a pattern of your life of faithfully trusting God, believing what his word says, Standing on his word, not yours. Not believing the pressures of the culture, but God's. So what does he do to prepare? What's he going to do to figure out this dream thing? I love it. He gathers his three buddies and he says, hey, here's what's going on. We need to pray. Right now, <laughs> we got a day. Let's make it count. And so what he finds is that he goes to the one true God and he is going to pray for help. His first prayer is, God, help us. Give us what we need. It's not about us. Only you can reveal it. Please show us what that is. He says that in 17 through 19. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezraiah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. It's like, we're just going to seek out God. We don't know how long that took, but it says that uh, God answered him later in the night, which means I'm probably thinking they were praying a lot through the night. It wasn't like, hey, say a prayer for five seconds, then go to bed, hope it works out. They were pleading with God, begging God, to show up. And as they prayed, God showed Daniel the dream and its interpretation and what it meant. It's interesting. So we're going to give you guys this in your group uh, this week. By the way, who's? Is, is, am I the only one excited about life group starting back up? It's been too long. I miss my peoples. I need my peoples, and I want to be around my peoples. And so we've been hugging and talking about how it's been taking too long. And so we have prepared the notes for the groups this week. And as Justin has put those together and had some help from some other people in the church, this is some things we want to do. But one of the things in there is you may go, I don't know how to pray, Simon. I'm not good at this prayer thing. It scares me. It's weird. I don't get it. And so we want to give you a, a, a thing that we can actually do in your group this week Um, and it's called ACTS, and really what it is, it's just a way that you can pray through Scripture what it looks like, Um, and so it's a little acronym, right? See, ACTS. So the first one is adoration. The second one is confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's just an order that we can pray. There's nothing magical about it. It just kind of helps us kind of get our minds in the right spot, so adoration, we praise and worship God for who He is and what He's doing. Confession, that if there are sins in our life that we would go, God, I'm in sin and I'm wrong. I should lay that down at the foot of the cross. I don't want to be in rebellion against you. I want to to trust you faithfully. We give thanksgiving for all that God provides in our life that we remember that he is the provider and giver of all things that we have. And then supplication would be like, help! (laughs) That's the help section. I'm in trouble. I need this or this is going wrong. What do I do? And so you'll have an opportunity to do that in your groups this week. And maybe what you need this week is maybe you're going through a hard situation. Maybe you're in a a Daniel spot. And you know how amazing it would be if people in your group said, you're in a Daniel spot, can we just pray for you right now? Ask God to provide and to give help and to give strength. That's what we've been called to do is to love on each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, knowing that God has a plan and a purpose. And so what we see is that as they are standing against culture, And they're standing for God. He has a second prayer. He goes from help, prayer, 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 answered prayer, back to prayer, praise, 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 worship, 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 worship. And that's the prayer that we're looking at today. You're like, that took a long time to get there. It did. Sorry. Daniel 2, 20 through 23 is the prayer that he gives us. Daniel answered and said, "'Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, "'to whom belong wisdom and might. "'He changes times and seasons. "'He removes kings and sets up kings. "'He gives wisdom to the wise "'and knowledge to those who have understanding.'" He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. What's interesting about this prayer He could have been like, God, I'm mad. You took me from my family. You moved me to this place. I have this king who's insane, who's over us. He's going to kill us and rip us limb from limb. I didn't want to eat the food and I trusted you there, but now I got to do these things and I'm hanging out with these pagans and they're worshiping these false gods and they're doing all this witchcraft and sorcery. Like, I don't want to be here. That's not what he does. That is not his response. He points to God's wisdom just like that. It's to show that God knows best in every and any situation. Even when we don't understand why it's happening. He's saying that God controls it all and your ways are best. The times and the seasons in your life that he's talking about are for a reason and they're not random. That's hopeful. That's good news. Could you imagine if like, well, the universe rolled the dice and I got the raw into the stick on this one. Darn universe. It's for a reason that what you're going through has purpose and meaning and value. We have to understand that. If if God is changing the times and the seasons that he is in control, and if he is perfect and knows best, then we can rest in that. They're not random. They're meant to grow us and bring glory to God. The only one who deserves glory. The only one that deserves honor. So he sets up kings and removes them the same way that we do when we play chess and we put them on a chessboard. You know what's crazy is also there's like this tongue-in-cheek nod to all the wicked and evil kings of Israel, huh? You set them up and you bring them down because you're in control. And the king that we are in front of right now, you're in control of that. As crazy as he is, as ludicrous as he might be doing, is doing, you're in control, God. God. And he knows all the deep and hidden things. It's just fun to learn. As you learn, it's like you're getting this secret pass into something that you don't, no one else knows. Have you ever done that? You learn something like, what do you do? I got to tell someone this thing that I learned. We're all an expert because we watch a documentary on something. Like we all are, right? But he reveals these deep and hidden things. Sometimes, God cracks the door. Sometimes God just kind of pulls back a curtain a little bit. Sometimes he lets us look through a peephole to see how amazing he truly is and how he is controlling every situation for his glory and for his honor. We can look back in our lives sometimes and see that, right? Say, oh, you know, hindsight's 20-20 because we can see what God was doing. It's hard in those moments, but sometimes God says, Let me show you what I'm doing here. Let me show you how I'm going to change everything. Let me show you how I'm powerful and I'm in control. And He lets us see this. Not because He has to, because He's just good. And He wants us to see how amazing He truly is and how powerful He truly is and how He holds all things together in His hand. That's what He's doing. See, He sees the bigger picture, He sees the whole picture. We just get this tiny little speck of a dot that we can look through, and it all revolves around us, right? And he's like, no, let me pull it back. It all revolves around me. Everything revolves around me. So Daniel goes before the king. we going to tell him his crazy dream. And the king asks him, are you able to interpret my dream? His response is fantastic. Here's what he says. Uh, Daniel 2, 26 through 28. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. I wish I had time to talk about his name. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no. Uh Excuse me? (laughs) No wise men, enchanters, magicians, astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. This is the best part. (laughs) But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. It ain't me, man. It's God. Only God can do these things that you're talking about. We forget at times that God is always saying that I am the God, the one true God, the God above all other gods, and there is no God bigger or greater than me. While those other guys were looking to their gods to answer the question, they had no answers. Yet Daniel goes and says, no, this is who will answer your, your dream question. He goes into the dream and about how there's all these kingdoms. There's this giant statue, and it's gold and silver and bronze, and it's got iron and iron and clay, and it's this giant statue. And then he's like, and then there's this, this rock that's not cut by human hands. It comes out, and it's thrown at the statue. And the statue, it crumbles to pieces, and it falls apart. And all this metal turns to like chaff in the wind, which is like worthlessness. Well, you know why Nebuchadnezzar was so frustrated? Because he had always wanted to have a giant statue of himself and his name and his renown and his kingdom. And yet when he saw the vision that there was something that was going to topple that and it it scared him. You'd think he'd learned a lesson, but if you just read chapter three, you realize he just didn't really stop the train. He just kind of kept the train going of us. I'll make the statue. So he tells them that All these powerful kingdoms that are represented by the different materials that are used, they're all going to end. They're all going to be crushed. Yet God is setting up a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom that is more powerful, that will endure forever. See, Nebuchadnezzar wanted his kingdom. He wanted his glory, his resound. He wanted to be known as something great and powerful that would last forever and forever and forever. Aren't we the same way? Don't we want our names lifted up? Don't we want to be known as great? Don't we want to be worth something? Don't we want to be remembered? Don't we want to have value? Don't we pour into our little kingdoms all the time? Well, here's the thing. God's about his kingdom because only it can actually satisfy and endure for forever. See, the kingdom is God's great kingdom. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. There's a section in uh, in Matthew where Jesus is sharing. These aren't in the slides. I'm sorry, guys. They're back there looking at me like I'm crazy. I have like 20 verses that I've used that aren't in the slides. Um, Jesus is, is talking in Matthew 21. And he says this in verse 42. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I wonder if that sounds anything like what we just talked about and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the rock that came out and crushed it. Jesus is the rock. And it's crazy because the rock hits the ground and it destroys everything, and the, the rock starts to grow into this mountain. He was crazy about this? God's kingdom is like, it's a growing kingdom. And he's talking about the church, that it starts with these 12 guys, and it goes, and the mission goes out, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, in this giant mountain that'll never end and be taken away. That's the kingdom of God. That you've got these, these young exile men in this wicked pagan kingdom sharing the truth of God that there is hope. It's the very same thing the church is called to do. That we are to go into a wicked and broken culture that needs hope, that needs Jesus, that needs to understand that they are going to stand before the God of the universe. You can either stumble and trip and be crushed by the rock or you can be saved by the rock. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will not have to fear. You will not have to be afraid like Daniel. wasn't afraid. That's the key, Right? He understands his king, the kingdom, and that he will be with him for forever. So he can be courageous. He knows that the king protects him. See, it's, it's so easy to be fearful right now, isn't it? You turn on the news, you're like, we're losing. There's an election and everyone sucks. <laughs> Who do I vote for? I don't know what to do. The governments are wicked and evil. This is not God's first rodeo. He knows what's going on. Like, when we feel like we're losing, how do you think Daniel felt? God, we don't even have a land anymore. What do we do? That God was there the whole time, orchestrating exactly what he wanted to have happen. He's putting together this puzzle one piece at a time. See, God already knows what's going on. And he's just putting all the players in place. We're a part of those pieces, right? Our lives are a part of that puzzle. And it's one giant puzzle that that just shows God's glory and what he's done and the great story of who he is. And the mission of our church is to take that message of Jesus Christ forward. As I look at Daniel, and and Daniel has a couple more things where it revolves around prayer, and it revolves around trusting God and stepping out in faith, and ultimately, like, you see all that work. But I just want you to see, like, we can be just like Daniel. We don't have to be afraid. We can sit in the circumstances that we're in and bring glory to God that you have a choice Will I honor and worship God and be faithful in the mundane of this hard situation or I'll reject God and complain about him? What are you going to do? I want to end with this, and I did promise that I was going to give you the third option, so I haven't forgotten. I want to read John 17. This is the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus praying for us, praying for what was going to happen, praying for when he left, praying for after he had given his life on the cross so whoever believed in him would be saved. This is what he says. John 17, 14 through 19. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? As he's praying for them, he's praying for us. That's who he's talking about. That he says, I came, you sent me, God, into the world to come and to bring truth and to bring light. I'm not asking you to take these believers, these Christians out of the world. As a matter of fact, I'm saying that you keep them there. You keep them in the culture. You show the light and the truth of who God truly is. And that they would be protected in the culture. And so it's not that we're called to assimilate to the culture and become like them. And it's not that the church has been to isolate and huddle up and wait for God to come back. The third option is that we engage the world. We engage the world. We engage the culture. We have the truth. We have the key to everything. The salvation that people desire and want, the peace that people desire and want is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Only. Only. When you are in these moments of struggle, pray the prayer of Daniel. Acknowledge his wisdom and his mercy and his control of all things and the situations that he puts us in. Cry out to him. Ask your group this week, pray the prayer of Daniel over me. Help me pray that prayer. Come alongside me. You know what I love about Daniel? He had buddies. The four of them were able to withstand some pretty crazy things because they encourage each other, not in their own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Let me pray, and we're going to move into a time of communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity this morning to open your word, to look at the life of Daniel and who he is and what he's done. Lord, for those that are struggling through hard situations, for those that feel hopeless, like Daniel, that feel like they're lost in a situation that doesn't make any sense, I ask that you would be with them. I ask that they would see that there is more to their life than this situation, that you call us to greater things, and what I've come to find, Lord, is those greater things are usually hard to go through, because anything worth anything is going to be hard. I pray that you would give strength to the men and women that are struggling right now that need you. That you would give them the strength they need. That you would give them the courage like Daniel. That, Lord, you have placed every single one of these individuals at different places of work and play and education and neighborhoods and cities to be that light, to be that beacon of hope to a lost and broken world. Lord, let them have that mindset about themselves that they are about your kingdom because we are your servants and you are our king and you have called us to be about this. That you have prayed for our protection so we could go as lambs among wolves that we would see wolves transformed into lambs to worship the Lamb of God. Love you pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.